Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. Sports is business. And whenever you are procuring talent, you must start with a criteria. Being owners of this league and wanting our league to be the best in the world, how do we make it better? The valuations are getting so high, the list of people who could purchase a team is getting really short. We have eight strategic investment areas when you look at the world of sports. The NBA's already in 210 countries around the world. NFL is an amazing thing for the sports betting industry. We have the World Cup coming in 2026. America. Hey, if I get a million dollars, we're going to a school. Trust me, I'll be there. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. Scarlett Foo is off this week, and we'll hear from Damian Sassauer a bit later in the program. Sitting in this week, we have Vanessa Perdomo. She is editorial lead for sports on Bloomberg Originals and Bloomberg Sports Business Reporter Randall Williams. On the way, we'll turn to a unique corner in the sports world, jet suit racing. That's right. You heard me. We'll talk with Richard Browning. He is the founder and chief test pilot for Gravity Industries, which designs building and flies jet suits. So to paint a picture, you are wearing a backpack, which has the fuel and other engine management systems in it. You have then, depending on the model, you have between one and three engines in the back that are lifting you from the back. And then on each arm, you have a pair of little engines, little jet engines. And the net result of each pair feels like you are just leaning on a surface. You know, it's sort of balanced around each arm. We'll also talk with Randall and Vanessa about their experience on Radio Row for the first Vegas Super Bowl. We'll hear some conversations they had from Radio Row and get their thoughts on the future of sports in Las Vegas. That is all straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. But first, we talk combat sports. Markel Martin is founder and chief executive officer of 3.0 Labs. It's a sports advisory and innovation company with ties to the combat sports. Francis Ngannou is one of the top fighters in the world and one of Martin's top clients here to talk with us about Ngannou's future as a boxer, plus some of what 3.0 Sports does. We welcome Markel Martin to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Michael, Vanessa, Randall, thank you guys for, for having me on. Uh, it's, it, it's an honor. Uh, but but starting with, with Francis, he's absolutely that guy who's always bet on himself, right? So you know, when I when I started representing him six years ago, uh, and he told me a little bit about his life story, and I'm just giving this for context, he's the guy that's always bet on himself, 
right? So to see where he's at today, undisputed UFC heavyweight champion turned boxer, it's it's to no surprise to myself, but very much a surprise to to many others. Uh, in this sense that he's always had this dream of becoming a boxer when he first left Africa and to see what he's doing today on the on the biggest stage is is nothing short of incredible it's it's a movie uh, and I'm just honored to have been a part of of his his journey and, and life and uh, come March 8th uh, he's gonna show the world again uh, what he's capable of Markel can you talk a little bit about the trials and tribulations over the past couple of years. I feel like it's been written about a lot, but um, hasn't been spoken about in terms of just your conversations with the UFC that eventually led to the deal with the PFL. The PFL essentially saying, hey, we're open to Francis boxing as well. We just want to make sure he joins back in their decagon again. It's not an octagon for people listening. It's a decagon, I believe. Yeah, uh, the 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 journey, you know, for for combat sports, you know, obviously it's it's one of the greatest sports in the world. Um, but at the end of the day, like all sports, it's it's a business, right? Uh, and unfortunately, in from my perspective, the business things of of combat sports haven't yet caught up to you know uh, the 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 big four that we know, right? Uh, in the other sports world. Um, so in dealing with UFC, and and mind you. You know, I worked at UFC uh, for for close to five years, right? Um, uh, prior to them them being acquired by by WME, and uh, you know, when I started representing Francis, one of my goals were for everyone that I represented is to educate them on on the 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 business as a whole, right? Having worked at UFC, that gave me kind of a different lens and and perspective. Now, of course, naturally, you're you're gonna. Um, if you kind of buck the system, uh, so to speak, you're going to get natural pushback. My job as a manager, as as a representative, is to represent my client. Uh, I have a, I have a fiduciary obligation to them, right? I I want to get the most amount of value uh, for what is it, it is that they represent and do. And to me, in the case of Francis Ngannou, what he represented was was more than 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 just a fighter. Obviously, you have to win. Right in in the competition that you, uh, you have at, at hand, uh, but knowing the business of the sport, uh, UFC is a global sport, MMA is a global sport, right? And the the fan base that Francis has garnered throughout his talent and with his story is again amazing. And so you know my job is to make sure that he's compensated for that. Unfortunately, you know UFC had a different side of things, right? And the UFC the UFC is the brand. Um, and they do a tremendous job. I'm not here to uh, throw shade at them. Like, I, I, I love them. I'm still a fan. I still watch uh, this where what Dana White has done has been incredible. But one of the greatest opportunities for any athlete is to understand their market value, right? So when it came to be a chance for him, for Francis to be a free agent uh, in December of uh, uh, 2022, um, he, he, he wanted to explore that and PFL, uh, rightfully so as a growing organization in the MMA space, right? The, the co-leader in MMA, uh, as I'd like to say, uh, they, they saw the value, uh, in Francis and wanted to recognize that. So we were able to, to put together an amazing deal, uh, for Francis and the PFL, uh, which, uh, allowed him Francis to also realize his value on the boxing side. So I think at the end of the day, UFC, uh, you know, um, it's, it's still going to be UFC, right? Uh, we, we all know and, know and love them. 
uh, PFL is growing and, and making a name for themselves. And Francis has the opportunity to really show uh, his skill sets uh, across multiple disciplines for the world to see. Now, you talked about, you know, combat sports and the UFC not really being up to date with the rest of the main four, as in athletes don't have as much say over their career. And so do you think that UFC's deal with WME is going to hinder maybe some progress where they could go down that path? Or do you see there's still a path for, you know, fighters to take more control over their career? No, that, that's that's a, a great question, Vanessa. Um, I, I feel as though with WME, you know, kind of being uh, new ownership, I think it almost uh, helps propel UFC in the right direction, uh, not only for themselves as an organization, but for the fighters. I think that they're uh, understanding that, hey, you know, the world is changing, right? Information spreads like wildfire. Uh, the fans are demanding, you know, a great product year over year. Uh, you know, what they're doing in terms of forming TKO, right? And and kind of having the w, uh, WWE, right? Which is, which is a storied uh, uh, entity in and of itself. Uh, and combining that with UFC, I think it only helps um, uh, fighters, right, uh, in, in the future. Uh, but what I'm curious to know and, and learn, and it's still kind of kind of new, right, TKO forming is is how uh, they intend to allow crossover, right? Because uh, one of the things that uh, we understood from UFC um, in past is that. Uh, these fighters don't have as as much rights and say so over their brand and, and and likeness. And what I mean by in terms of other sports, right? You can you can see what a first round pick is making and negotiate off of that. It's kind of like set. There there's more of an opportunity. There's there's a a, a, a players association, right? That's that's in place. In college, there's name name image and likeness. So I think that overall. Uh, uh, things for combat sports and the landscape in MMA in particular uh, is trending upwards, right? And I think that's from a business standpoint and just terms of legitimizing the sport uh, globally and, and as from a league standpoint, but also from a fighter standpoint. But it's up to the fighters. At the end of the day, it's up to the fighters, in my opinion, to really advocate for their rights, right? Advocate for their opportunities, whether it's sponsorship, whether it's brand value. Uh, and it's important, right? One of the things that I've always set out to do is just educate uh, these these athletes on, on understanding their value and realizing that value. And that makes for a better product for everyone, not not just themselves. Huddle around the set, kids. Old man Barr's going to tell a story here <laughs> about boxing. Well, back in my day, ye olden my, times. the ye old day, we used to wait. We couldn't even believe it when Muhammad Ali and Howard Cosell would get together on Wide World of Sports and they would do the interview and they just talked. It was like, oh my goodness. You know, and, and back in the day when, yep, when Ali and Joe Frazier were fighting, didn't even call it pay-per-view. It was closed circuit. That's, that's how old I am back in the day. <laughs> Now, today, boxing has kind of slipped compared to, you know, the MMA and stuff like that. Can a Francis Ngannou bring it back to where people are saying, hey, I got to watch his boxing match? Oh, what 100%. Francis is, is doing that and has already done so with him fighting Tyson Fury, right? Uh, and uh, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a new 
kind of figurehead in boxing, which is His Excellency Turkey Al, Al, Al Shea uh, from 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 the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, right? Uh, when Francis uh, made a trip to Saudi Arabia uh, about a year and a half ago, he met His Excellency, mm -hmm. right? And the first thing he asked him, Francis, what do you want to do? He said, I want to box. He said, where? He said, I, I would like to box in Saudi Arabia, right? And now you're seeing the issue with, you know, and and, and maybe, I mean, you're, you're a little bit older than me, right? Because you just dated yourself, yeah, uh, for sure. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, I will say the issue with boxing has been that the fights that people want to see don't always get made. Of course, in the Ali days, I'm sure, you know, the best were fighting the best. Then it became a more of a commercial uh, kind of kind of product. And now what I think we're seeing is going back to the best fighting the best. So now, Francis, your, your question is, can Francis bring that back? I think he can, and he's already doing so because you have not only the boxing world looking at these athletes in a different light, meaning MMA athletes coming over, but you're seeing the MMA audience, which is younger, which has a better understanding of, of the sport of MMA, Right. And it's bringing that fandom. So I think there's a yearning uh, brewing across all of combat sports. And I think it's going to start with uh, Francis Ngannou continuing on uh, this opportunity for, hey, if you're a fighter, you fight, period. And that's and that's what we're seeing today. Markel Martin, founder and chief executive officer of 3.0 Labs Incorporated. You, sir, are golden just for coming on the show and joining us here you, with the Bloomberg Business of Sports. And we appreciate your knowledge. Thank you again, sir. God bless. Thank you guys for having me. That's Markel Martin. He is founder and CEO of 3.0 Sports and represents top fighter Francis Ngannou. Special thanks to him for joining us. Up next, we turn to Jet Suit Racing. Yeah, buddy. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. Gravity Industries wants to pioneer a new era of human flight. It designs, builds, and flies jet suits. And then they're going to race them. This week in Dubai, Gravity is going to help launch the very first sporting contest in the world featuring opponents who take flight without an aircraft in the Dubai jet suit race.
Earlier this week, Damian Sassauer, Vanessa Perdomo of Bloomberg Originals, and I got to sit down with Richard Browning, founder and chief test pilot for Gravity Industries, to talk about the race and more. Let's listen in on that conversation, starting with him describing the type of technology his company uses. I guess quite a few folks listening might have come across the visuals of what we're talking about here. This is a jet suit from Gravity. They might have seen a medic flying up a mountain. They might have seen what looked like a Royal Marine uh, soldier flying onto a Navy boat. Two of those films, I mean, we, we've had those going around for a few years and they've done hundreds of millions of views. It's that technology. Uh, we, we're talking about a bunch of little jet engines attached to, to a human being in a way that allows you to fly, in many people's minds, as close as you can get to a superhero flying. Except now, having done over 300 events in 45 countries and built a medic and military business, we're going one step further and building an actual race series. And that is happening in Dubai. So it's pretty so, exciting. So Richard, tell us about the suit here. Tell us about what it costs to build the suit, how much it costs to fly the suit, um, how heavy the suit is, what's the duration for each flight, and how are you structuring this race? I mean, how are people going to, I mean, I have to believe it's um, it's it's pretty expensive, right? So, I mean, talk to us about how many people are involved in the race. How's it going to work? Firstly, so to, to paint a picture, you are wearing a backpack, which has the fuel and other engine management systems in it. You have then, depending on the model, you have between one and three engines in the back that are lifting you from the back. And then on each arm, you have a pair of little engines, little jet engines. And the net result of each pair feels like you are just leaning on a surface. You know, it's sort of balanced around each arm. And then by uh, using amazing human balance and stability, and I mean amazing in the fact that humans can walk and run about on two legs, we train people in LA, London, and soon Dubai to be able to fly these things. We've trained over 600 people, even my kids learned when they were 13. And it is one of those bicycle, snowboarding, skiing processes where it's very hard to explain how you do it, but the least you think about it, the quicker you pick it up on our training tether, and then off you go. So uh, it's a very small piece of equipment, really, and it's very much using human balance and physicality. I mean, we have retailed them very carefully to an elite number of people for about $450,000. Our main markets really are the military and medical community. But as the race series grows, we will be retailing the more and more of these for specific racing over water to keep it safe. But then really compared to a NASCAR and IndyCar, I mean, that's, you know, the most components on those cars cost more than that. Um, if you throw them in the water, which is part of the racing, you know, you're not supposed to do it, but when, when it inevitably happens, then it's a few thousand dollars to refurbish it and off you go again. So, it, you know, in the scheme of top end sport, this is a very cost effective way of delivering what to most people will look like real life Marvel superheroes pushing the limits of human and machine capability. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does look like Iron Man's just flying up there. But I'm also glad you said that part about like snowboarding and skiing. It's it's hard to describe how you do it because I have been trying to learn how to become an avid snowboarder and it's not <laughs> panning out exactly how I would like, but I can kind of do it. So who are the other people, the other athletes that are going to be in the circuit and how do they get trained and how long does the process usually take? Right. So we are, you know, essentially building from scratch what we hope to be a new whole sporting franchise alongside all the events and all the other activities we do. And so to kick that off, rather than having exactly this conversation of me, even though it's radio, waving my hands around and explaining what it is, I want within the space of the next week to be sharing with the world all the visuals of what this really looks like. But essentially, it's going to be a lot of my team pilots, guys and girls. 
um, who are event pilots and medic pilots and, um, and demonstration pilots, they will all be taking part in this race. And I mean, we haven't done this before. This is going to be, you know, proper innovation. We really do walk that walk or fly that fly, if that's a phrase. Um, <laughs> we, we are going to be um, really just creating a showcase. We are calling it the inaugural showcase in partnership with Dubai, who are very much throwing their weight behind this. Um, and races two, three, four, et cetera, will then start to have other pilots from our network of other trained people from the worlds of media, social media, sport, and other places who will increasingly then have other sponsors they bring to the table to sponsor suits. We've already got quite a few sponsors coming in. And really where I'm going with this is the world of motorsport has built an amazing playbook over a hundred plus years of how do you have sponsored teams, sponsored locations, sponsored pilots, uh, constructed championships, all of this good stuff. There is no reason why, if we are genuinely delivering value to our audience and sponsors, why we can't just build that out. But, but this is ground zero. This is starting from scratch and the visuals if you like that'll go out after the race will have to show just how spectacular this is which i really you know i mean it it, it looks pretty spectacular even from the stuff we put out already um so um we, we are very much going to be you know re playing from that same motorsport playbook well lord you mentioned nascar don't have the big one man doing these things in the jetpacks because this <laughs> is this is a this is rather dangerous if you're racing them uh it, how many are in a race or a heat or, or how does that even work so we're going to be again very much motorsport we're going to be starting slow with individual pilots going around testing the course and then starting to lay down personal best times again it's just like a motorsport right. and then we'll put head-to-head -head, um uh you know pilots where you've got let's say the slowest two next fastest next fastest pairs so you've got a bit of the competitive elements. So they're starting to get used to the course and with other pilots in the air. And the whole thing snowballs up to the sort of final race day where you've got eight, seven or eight pilots all going off at the same time, all explosively launching and all hammering around the course with inevitably some people getting it wrong and going in the water. And the lovely thing about this is you deliver that critical thing for sport, which is that perception of risk and peril. Uh, and jeopardy and yet actually you get it wrong you fall in some water so it's actually got we believe far less risk than most motorsport and yet it's going to look epic you mentioned medical you mentioned military i mean where does the suit live and breathe right now so if, if i just wind it back briefly so uh i i was a 15-year career commodity trader in the city of london but my whole family came from the world of um aviation and engineering and i've also had a bit of a military background as well alongside that and so if you put all that in a pot with a healthy dose of liking a crazy challenge, I hatched this idea of could you augment human physicality and balance with just a bit of technology and fly in a way that everybody thought was impossible. And if you think about it, a bicycle, as unglamorous as that might sound, does that really well. You put a bit of steel and rubber on a human and suddenly they can hammer around at, you know, 40 miles an hour. Uh, and travel hundreds of miles and yet that bicycle by itself can't even stand up you know it's it's when you think about it that's amazing um so inspired in the same way i thought if you just add some minimal equipment to still use human balance and physicality could you kind of achieve this and i did it in 2016 and there's a whole ludicrous investment story which i can share with you if you're interested which is was not planned but anyway we we ended up building a really quite successful business out of this from just doing events Using my military background, it started to dawn on us that if you need to move special forces soldiers over mines, mud, wire, water at night in bad weather to deliver an objective and self-extract, we can do that better than any other platform out there. And so we've even operated in Ukraine. Um, we've operated in uh, with, with special forces all over the world. And we are now live with 
a number of special forces doing exactly that. So, I mean, not that I tried to build a, a real life Iron Man suit here at all. Um, it's funny how we are copying from so many elements of that film, mm -hmm. because yes, it's fun, but behind the scenes, we are not only delivering special forces soldiers over any terrain to deliver objectives. We're also now pushing the whole use of that to deliver first responder medic capability in very hard to operate terrain. And so that that's really starting to happen now too. Well, you know, what's interesting to me there is that you're saying, you know, when you first started out, that wasn't your goal and that you had these this crazy, you know, investment story. I'd love to hear because, you know, when if that wasn't your goal when you first started out, what, you know, when you first had this idea, what was, you know, the application for you? And then when you started going to VC backers and potential sponsors, what were those initial pitches like? How did you get them to sign on? Nothing about what we've done is normal, which is sort of applies to my life, I think. So to, but to answer your question. I had no business model. I had no business plan. I just thought for one or two opportunities in life, let's just try something that everybody says is impossible, where I see a tiny inkling that they might be wrong. Being in the spirit of innovation, which is all about taking risk as long as that risk is recoverable, as long as you can get back up again and fight another day. If you're running a trading book, as you know, you guys know, uh, you have to be able to do that or you don't keep your seat. Well, in the same way, when it comes to innovation, as long as you can get back, get back up financially, reputationally and from a safety perspective, you just keep iterating. And that's all I did. And I ended up arriving at something that I still, for the first year of presenting this around the world, had engineers step up and go, there's no way this should work. And I was, I'd just flown it for them in their parking. <laughs> um, anyway, having got it to work, we launched with Wired and Red Bull, which were two brands that between them absolutely catapulted us in the right direction, especially for the British media, which is very primed and ready to stick you in the lunatic bin. Um, <laughs> dangerous. I have to say your good country is far more uh, open to the crazy. And, and hence why you've got so many billion dollar companies. And, you know, it, it, the other side of the Atlantic, not so much, right? And, and it comes from that receptiveness that we don't have to uh, the unusual. But um, on the way to do TED 2017, I got asked by uh, Boost VC, um, run by um, Adam Draper, uh, Tim Draper's son. If you know, you know, Tim Draper, pretty famous in the VC world. I didn't know who they were. I was too focused on destroying my reputation in front of the TED crowd. Right. Um, and I did a little parking lot <laughs> flight for them. And Tim Draper rushed up with a $100 bill, gave it to me as a bit of a joke as my first revenue for blowing out his parking lot because I blew dust everywhere. And then he chatted to his son and said, right, we have to be part of this. How about um, $650,000 for 10% of the company? Actually, strictly speaking, he said half a million dollars. And I quickly put my trader hat on with the engine still cooling and said, oh, you know, I, should, I, I sort of thought, thought to myself I should haggle here. Um, and uh, I haggled into 650 and raised that money in the parking lot in event number one, in a week one Not of bad. revealing this world. So uh yeah, and, and then it just kind of you know spiraled from there, really. And we genuinely have applied the same curiosity and willingness to experiment in, an, in a recoverable way to the commercial side of the business as we have the engineering side. And so we've just tried all sorts of things. And the businesses I've already mentioned are all the successes out of those experiments. And before we did our successful um, Series B raise last year, we were actually a net profitable company for a startup flying jet suits how crazy is that, right? I mean, we were actually a profitable business. We were earning more than we were spending. I mean, no one does that in the startup world. <laughs>
That's Richard Browning. He is founder and chief test pilot for Gravity Industries. Special thanks to him for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Up next, we had boots on the ground in Las Vegas for the big game. We'll check in on what they learned about the future of big sporting events in Vegas. Plus, take a listen to a few of their special conversations during the Super Bowl. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer will be back next week. We do have special guest hosts with us. Vanessa Perdomo is back. She is the editorial lead for sports on Bloomberg Originals and Bloomberg Sports business reporter Randall Williams. They were both in Las Vegas on Radio Row for the Super Bowl. I want to start with you, Vanessa. What was it like? Man, you know, it's funny because it is lucky, right? It was an amazing experience. You know, you see everyone walking around and you just have to pretend like it's totally normal that Emmett Smith and Joe Montana and Gronk and everyone's just walking past you and you're like, hey, what's up? Um, but I, you know, it was, it was great. It's a really long process. So we talked to a lot of interesting people, Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, talked to them both about, you know, free agency and the running back market. And then just about Vegas and how interesting the Super Bowl being there was and how different it was compared to other ones. Right. Randall, it's like very different experience than we've had before. By the way, Randall. For sure. Yeah. I love it. The way Vanessa just dropped some names in there. Yeah. <laughs> Emma Smith came by, you know, I told him, yo, <laughs> but Randall, it was Clark Hunt, it was Mahomes, it was Gronk, Edelman, Josh Allen, it was Dion, it was Shador, it was right. so many different people. Right. I think Vegas is was really one of the rare, it felt like a perfect sports or Super Bowl city, I'll say, because you have the parties, you have the, the luster, you have the food, you have the players, and everyone really just wanted to be there. So it was a good experience. It was nonstop. I mean, I would never spend a week in Vegas for anything other than the Super Bowl Facts. and maybe a wedding. But yeah, by the end of it, it was it was great. But we were both so exhausted. 
Yeah, yeah, I wish I could say that, but no. <laughs> but you know, well, you what? had well, well, Michael. You had you had no reason to go. Your Lions folded. I mean, let's let's, no, let's no, call it what it is. You, you could have won. Yeah, okay, they did fold. I ain't gonna lie. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It, it, back in the day, you know, remember, you know, back they used the Super Bowl used to be back in Miami for yep. several years, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm wondering now, uh, Vanessa and Randall, if you know. If Vegas, because th- that's the moneymaker right there, Vanessa, 100%. if that's going to be numerous on the slate forever. Oh, definitely. I, you know, you know, talking to people there, you just knew it was going to be now it's definitely in the rotation. And I think as the years go on, it'll be in a very heavy rotation. Like I could see it being every three or four years, you know, kind of a thing, because it just was like Randall said, like it was very perfect, except for the traffic. I will say it was they need to figure that out because that was Horrific. It, it, and it's not like New York. You know, it's it's very different. I mean, Randall were talking about it. the lights just feel like they take like five minutes to change. But other than that, you know, it, it is like the perfect city. And I think it works out perfectly for the city and for the NFL because you have all the people that want to be there. All the players want to be there because they know they can make a lot of money this week, even if they're not playing in the game, maybe even more if they're not playing in the game, right? Because the reality is they get paid to go on Radio Row. And talk about a lot of products, and they get paid a lot of money to do it. The thing is, with more new stadiums being built, there's going to be more cities vying for an opportunity to host a Super Bowl. But Vegas has everything you want there. You have the casinos, you have the hotels, and like I said, the food and everything else. And it's all in a close proximity. That's why the traffic was so bad is because there's so many people around. Now, the traffic wasn't nearly as bad as when I was at F1. Uh, but yeah. it, it is what it is. Vegas, I think Vegas will definitely be a, a twice a decade, maybe three times a decade of Super Bowl appearances. Vanessa and Randall, thanks for taking the time to step in on the show today. Now let's take a listen to some of their conversations they had from Vegas at the Super Bowl, starting with Tony Gladney. He's a former NFL pro who spent time on the San Francisco 49ers in his career. Now he's at MGM Resorts International, serving as vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Let's listen in on some of his conversation with Randall and Vanessa, starting with his thoughts on having a big game in Las Vegas. I personally, um, from being a, a former UNLV, you know, uh, student athlete playing on the football team, and even, you know, having a short uh, career with the uh, San Francisco 49ers and coming back, I would have never thought that you know the Super Bowl would would be here, um, but I think it came into fruition through opportunities, opportunities for different sports teams coming here, opportunities. I mean, who would have ever thought that, you know, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, uh, the the Aces, um, you know, women's uh, WNBA, right? Back champions back to back, back right? Mm-hmm. Um, Vegas Golden Knights champions, uh, Las Vegas Raiders. So I believe that, you know, throughout we were able to, I think, really show um, that um, as a part of what our core is, that that sports capital potential is starting to come to fruition even more than the entertainment capital of the world. So I did some uh, some calculations because we just did this Las Vegas is trying to become the sports capital of the world story, and it's over or nearly seven billion dollars invested in sports properties and teams over the course of 40 years, and a lot of that has really picked up recently. Um, I spoke to Bill, and Bill told me, hey, if the NBA comes in town, we're going to offer up T-Mobile Arena. Talk to me about how that would work and and the potential there. 
Well, I think it's a potential, and I think it's a potential, uh, as Bill expressed, that we are really open um, to opportunities such as, you know, the NBA potential. You know, I think that, you know, it's, it's our core. Um, we have, uh, you know, many arenas. Um, we have rapid uh, basketball fans. Absolutely, rapid basketball fans. And uh, MGM has a history uh, of, you know, uh, entertaining from a sports perspective. Back to the days of boxing. Yeah. Um, and so um, I believe that uh, our company's up to the task if that potential presents itself. Um, and as Bill expressed, um, I believe our company would do a great job at give it the given opportunity to be able to host that. Well, this is almost like an audition in a sense. There's, there's no event. I mean, the only thing that's pr probably bigger than the Super Bowl is a presidential election or something in, that makes national news. But in sports, the Super Bowl is it. I spoke to the NFL for the story, and one of the things that they said is they want you all to be in the rotation of Super Bowl host cities. How quickly do you want something like this back, and what can you improve upon to make sure that, hey, this is great, but let's make it amazing next time? I've had the pleasure of being the co-chair of the Community Affairs uh, Subcommittee for the NFL Host Committee. Mm -hmm. um, and our dialogue has been, this is going to be one of the best Super Bowls, if not the best Super Bowl, uh, that the NFL and its fans have seen. Mm -hmm. And we believe that. Um, that is so our what makes core. Vegas that? What makes Vegas is that is obviously our tourism experiences, obviously our amount of rooms, uh, room availability, uh, our entertainment uh, mm -hmm. venues. Um, I look at a company like MGM Resorts, you know, how we have a plethora of properties and we have entertainment venues to, to, to serve you. But I think even more important, I think it's our community. You have citizens and you have community members from every, uh, you know, uh, city and state and region that move here. And so uh, it's not, um, you know, for us, we're no stranger to that. And so we believe that um, we do things big, we do things the best, and when we do have a weakness, we make sure that we build on our weaknesses. And if I can really, you know, uh, link that, one of our core concepts with customers is that we want customers to have an experience that they will keep coming back. Our key is that repeat business. And so it's no different than when we talk about the Super Bowl and when we talk about specific expansion of uh, different types of uh, you know, sports coming. Well, I think the great part is we um, really uh, take great pride in, in, in our properties that mm -hmm. um, you can um, have that one-stop shopping experience in our properties to where obviously there's opportunities to be able to, you know, uh, yeah. leave, uh, you know, that property, but we make sure that you have everything that you need to be able to have that one-stop shopping experience to be able to make sure that you're comfortable to be able to be within the property. We're in Mandalay Bay now. Yeah. Um, you know, everything's been available to you and a whole lot more while you're here, we hope. Yeah. And that's what our goal is. 
That's Tony Gladney. He's VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at MGM Resorts International, speaking with Vanessa Perdomo and Randall Williams from Vegas on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Vanessa and Randall also spoke with NFL star running back Saquon Barkley while they were hanging out in Las Vegas. Let's listen to some of their conversations, starting with his thoughts on the market for top flight running backs in the NFL and his impending free agency. It's the NFL. It's recency bias right now. Um, that's the trend. It's going to change. Uh, I do think, though, with the, the franchise tag, obviously going through that, I feel like there's got to be a new way. Mm-hmm. Sadly, that's not going to happen for another couple of years. Yeah. Um, that's just how it works with the CBA. But think about it this way. If the Giants were to franchise tag me, I'm not saying that they are, but they were to franchise tag me, I would be on one team for seven years, which I love New York. And I love you know, everyone knows that, but never, ever really getting a chance to maximize another contract. Right. Um, and that's not fair. I won't say fair. I hate using the word fair because at the end of the day, we're playing a, a, a game called football that I've been playing since I was a little kid. Majority of my life, I've played for free, and you're still making millions of dollars, and yeah. it's all relative, right? So uh, I don't want to say fair, but in that way, it's you know, I never really got that chance if that was to happen yeah. I don't think it should be I don't think any player should be handcuffed and to be honest for some players uh, franchise tag is not bad uh, yeah. franchise tag is still $27 million yeah. I don't know what the wide receivers are. that's the first thing I think of around there I don't know the exact number um, but you know there's some guys in the locker room that's like please franchise tag me yeah. Uh, so it helps in some cases, but I think in, in a case where you can get a, a, a player for being good, for getting drafted high, for getting drafted in the first round, there's a negative thing that comes behind it where it's you like get punishment. to. It's like a punishment in a sense, right? That is NFL star running back Saquon Barkley talking with our colleagues Vanessa Perdomo and Randall Williams while they were in Las Vegas at the Super Bowl. And that does it for this week's edition of the Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Michael Barr. Scarlett Fu, Damian Sassauer. We'll be back next week. And a special thank you to Vanessa Perdomo of Bloomberg Originals and Randall Williams of Bloomberg News for hopping in today. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big old money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.